And as you do, we're going to continue in our sermon series on the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 46 through chapter 11. Verse 11 will be our reading for today. Mark chapter 10, verses 46. That's where we'll begin. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back immediately. And they, were away, they went away and found a colt tied and at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And someone, some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying that colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Father, we come to you this morning. We ask you that you would open our eyes, that you would give us sight, that we might see who Jesus really is, and that we might not only see who he is, but that we might find him delightful, that we might find him everything uh, that we need, that we might find mercy with him, our King. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Queen Elizabeth passed away within the last month, and she actually planned her funeral, and one of the things she did was down to the the very hymns, the last hymn that was in the uh, funeral at Westminster Abbey was Love Divine, All Loves Excelling, a Charles Wesley hymn. And the very last verse of that hymn and the very last words of that last verse of that hymn go like this. Changed from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. And so Queen Elizabeth was signaling that she, as the monarch, was casting her crown before who? The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Evidently, if reports are true, she truly did believe in Jesus Christ as her Savior and her Lord. 
We find here in our text today, we've been looking at over, the, over these many months, who is Jesus Christ? And how are we supposed to respond to him? And we find in our text today, in no uncertain terms, that Jesus is king. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, there is a prophecy given to David that he, that his descendant, was going to be an everlasting king. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Then later the prophet Isaiah said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time and forevermore. And then in Luke chapter 1, verse 32 in the New Testament, in no uncertain terms, it says this, He will be great and he will be called Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So Jesus is revealed as this coming king, a descendant of David, who would take David's throne and he would sit upon it and he would be an everlasting king, an eternal king, truly the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So who is our king? Well, we find out in our text today that our king is merciful. Now, when we look at this text, and this is recorded, uh, this blind Bartimaeus, this healing uh, in, in Mark, he goes into the most detail about the individual who is healed. One individual in this case, he even gets a name, blind Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, uh, son of Timaeus. And, um, and so we get this, this intimate image of this man who is in desperate need. Think about what it would be like in first century Palestine, not being able to see. And the difficulty and the problem, we can imagine even today with our modern conveniences, but just imagine what it was like back in that day. And he was desperate, and he hears that Jesus is coming. He hears, and so he calls out, and Jesus stops and responds to his cry for mercy. Now, I've seen a a, a commercial like this in a television show recently, and it it basically goes something like this. It's a girl in a restaurant or a a bar, a a young woman, and and, um, she comes out of the restaurant, um, and she's got got her phone with her, and she says something to the effect of, I just checked this guy's social uh, media presence, and boy, I'm glad I did. I'm out of here. You know, in other words, this guy's a loser. I'm checking up on him. Well, Jesus didn't need to check on Bartimaeus's social status uh, in his uh, on Facebook or Twitter account. He knew this guy had nothing whatsoever to offer. And Jesus stops. And Jesus has mercy. Jesus has nothing to gain. In fact, the people are, he's not going to want anything to do with you. But he calls out to him as his king, son of David. You are the king that is to come. You are the descendant that is prophesied. Have mercy on me. And so Jesus called him and said, take heart. And so call out to Jesus. Jesus is the great king, but Jesus has mercy. He is a merciful king. He will stop if you cry out to him in faith. You know, we think of the minuscule 
authority of presidents and kings in this world. And they would pay you no attention whatsoever if you came to them with your needs. You called out to mercy. They would not help. Even if they wanted to help you, they don't have the power and the ability to do that. There are too many people, but not so our king. Our king is almighty God. And so our king not only is merciful in heart, but he has the ability to show you mercy. Mark ten fifty two, And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Jesus is powerful to execute mercy in your life. Call out to him, whatever your need is. He delights to hear from the likes of you and me. We have faith in Jesus' power and mercy, and that brings salvation. Bartimaeus had faith in Jesus as king, as the son of David. And we see him calling out. That was his first sign of faith. He calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then the second sign of faith in verse 50. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. He said, what would you have me do for you? Let me recover my sight. Go your way, for your faith has made you well, Jesus said. And immediately he recovered his sight. Now that word for made well is the the same word in the Greek Bible that is translated saved. Your faith has saved you. And so certainly he's talking about his eyesight, but he's talking about more than his eyesight. Uh, That faith leads to salvation. We come to Jesus in faith for our physical needs, our, uh, our, our needs in this world, but our greatest need is to be saved from our sins. Our greatest need is to be saved into a relationship, a wonderful relationship with God now and for all eternity. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one can boast. We go to God in faith, trusting in what Jesus has done, who Jesus is, his death on the cross, his perfect life, the fact that he cares about you and me, and if we reach out to him in faith, we shall be saved. We'll be saved right now. We'll have a new relationship with God. We'll be declared right in his sight on the basis of Jesus' gift of eternal life and righteousness And we will know for all eternity that we are secure in that relationship with God. Why? Because it's based on Jesus, the eternal Son of God, and everything he's accomplished and not what we accomplish. Now, there are people that um, have said, you know, for years that this is just pie in the sky by and by, right? That's the term. And when that term was coined, by the way, probably uh, they weren't talking about dessert. They were probably in England talking about dinner. Uh, That, hey, you know, we're so concerned about pie in the sky by and by. What we should really be concerned about is helping people in the here and now. And it's certainly true we should be helping people in the here and now. And it's certainly true that Jesus is concerned in our needs in the here and now. Those two are not mutually exclusive. And yet Jesus does not promise, as some charlatans in our day would say, is if you have enough faith, then you can accomplish anything you set your mind on. You can have any disease taken care of. You can have any financial situation met. You can actually have prosperity and wealth if you just have enough faith. 
Here's what we heard just a few weeks ago as we preached on this text. Mark 10, 29 and 30. Truly, I say to you, there's, this is Jesus speaking to Peter in response. We've left everything to follow you. There's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Yes. Yes, I'll take care of you. But don't think it's going to be easy. There will be persecutions in this life. I think of Richard Wormbrand. Some of you... um, uh, have been involved in a church long enough, you've been alive long enough. Uh, Richard Wormbrand, in his book, Tortured for Christ, he experienced firsthand uh, torture under uh, communist uh, Russia, USSR. And, um, and he was released, and then he had a ministry uh, trying to help those who are persecuted behind the Iron Curtain. And uh, he says this, he says, I have found truly jubilant Christians only in the Bible, in the underground church, and in prison. And so sometimes we want life to be easier. Um, And certainly Jesus will answer our prayer and do us good. But there are times when we need our faith built and our joy built and our reliance on Jesus Christ to grow, even as we go through difficulties in this life. So how do we follow our merciful king? Well, we do exactly what Bartimaeus did. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him on the way. Jesus didn't say, hey, get up and follow me. It was his natural response. He showed me mercy. And I'm excited about following him. And we follow Jesus for the same reasons. Saw another television show recently, and the scenario was with this. It was an actress playing a celebrity, and the celebrity was, uh, was, uh, had paused and was typing out uh, Twitter on her Twitter feed. And another older woman, less hip, less cool, was like, what are you doing? And she said, I'm, I'm, I'm writing to my followers. And she said, oh, like Jesus. And she said, oh, no, Jesus only had 12 followers. Well, Jesus, of course, has billions of followers, different type of follower. But would we do at least as well and hang on the very words of Jesus? Would we take it seriously and live our lives following Jesus? How do we do that? We've got his word right here. So the natural response for us in receiving Christ's mercy is to follow him. Now we turn to what's called the triumphal entry, and we find that Jesus himself, in no uncertain terms, presents himself as king. Not just the text. The text does, certainly, and that would be enough. But Jesus does as well. Verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately... As you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus 
and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Now, this is recorded in all of the, uh, all of the Gospels. All four Gospels record uh, the triumphal entry. And doesn't this strike you as a little strange? You know, all this detail about going and, and talking to a person and untying the colt and this. And what's going on, a couple of these gospel accounts explicitly uh, reference the prophecy that Jesus is fulfilling here. And that prophecy is found in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, the Messiah. The son of David was going to come, humble, on a donkey. And Jesus himself is setting this up and riding in on a donkey. So it says, humble. So why is this humble? Well, he's not coming in on a war horse. So Jesus is entering in a humble way. And yet it's interesting that the kings of Israel also would actually uh, ride in a humble way. They, would, they had a little bit of a different vehicle, so to speak. They didn't have a war horse, but they had a mule. Now, not being, uh, not being raised on a farm... I didn't really know what a mule was, but a mule is a cross between a donkey and a horse. You know, you want a labradoodle, the best characteristics of the Labrador and the poodle. And so the same thing with a mule. A mule is the best characteristics of a donkey and a horse, or at least that's what you're trying to get. And the kings of Israel would ride mules. And so we find, for instance, David... uh, did this very thing with his son Solomon. The king said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon. So this was David's way. This is my royal mule. And he is going to ride, and everybody's going to know that he is the king. So this humility actually wasn't all that strange. But there's another thing that's interesting to know. And that is that humility and kingship was very important in the law. And it had to do with this. Will the king obey the law or will he believe that he is above the law? You know, the term power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Here's the, here's the statement in the law in Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children. Right? So he's to be humble. The king is to be humble and not thinking that he is above his brothers, that he is above the law. So the president of the United States should not think that somehow because I'm president, I go out and rob a bank and the laws don't apply to me. But similarly... There are certain presidential laws, things that relate specifically to the president as he makes his oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States. 
I don't know if it's right. Maybe some of you have had to make an oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States, but not very many of us. But the, the president does. The king also has laws that were specifically given to him. You know, one of those laws was not to amass horses. Deuteronomy 17. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return again that way again. What did Solomon do? Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen, and he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities. And Solomon imported of horses from the king and Q, uh, from Egypt and Q, and the king's traders received them from Q at a price. Right? So almost immediately they broke the law of God in terms of this. The kings did. There's another thing about mules. The assumption is that they imported the mules. Why? Because there was a law against crossbreeding in the Old Testament law. So they were not to breed a horse and a donkey. So they got this mule from some. Now, all of this coming together, here's, what, here's what's going on. That Jesus riding in on a donkey was Jesus being humble. Coming humbly, not on a war horse, but also riding on the animal that was most befitting the law for a king. Jesus was humble. Now, Jesus wasn't simply doing a photo op, right? Uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't there just for the image because we know that what's going to happen with Jesus is humbly he's going to die on the cross for you, to me, for you and me to humble himself. But this was Jesus coming in and saying, I am the coming king. I am the one who is prophesied, the humble one who would die for your salvation, that you would receive mercy And so we're to receive the king in a better way than the crowd did here at the triumphal entry. Mark chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. They were excited, and many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna, in the highest, they knew their king had come. They were praising him. They were shouting out. There was quite a scene there as people were excited that Jesus, their king, was coming. But it wouldn't be long after that that their enthusiasm would go away, that their faith would fail. And part of that was because they had the wrong idea of who Jesus was. That's why we've been talking about who is this Jesus and how should we respond to him? They thought that Jesus was going to be this political, nationalistic savior. And Jesus came as the humble king to save them from their sins, not from their political problems, not in the here and now. And so people believe all sorts of things about Jesus. And we have to be careful that we don't fall into that. It's easy to think, well, Jesus is supposed to solve my problems. And so if he hasn't solved my problem today, that must mean that he really isn't merciful, that he really isn't good, that he really doesn't care. And our text today says that's absolutely wrong. Jesus is your merciful king. You're to cry out to him. 
He will hear you. He will respond to you. You might be the the person of least account in terms of how the world thinks of you. Or you might hold yourself in very low esteem. Understand this, Jesus will hear you. You know, there will be a time when Jesus will come and he will save by executing justice in the world. In his first coming, he came to save by giving himself up on the cross. That he might be that sacrifice to pay for your sins. But one day he will come back and execute justice. And he will bring about a new heavens and a new earth. And when he comes back, he will be riding on a war horse. Revelation chapter 19 verses 11 through 16. Gives this image, this vision, this picture of what it will be like. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it will be called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So what's our response today? Our response today is to cry out in mercy. Cry out for mercy. Cry out for salvation while mercy can be found, while salvation can be found. He is merciful, but there will be a day when he will come and he will judge. And he will do it for the good of his people. Not because we're so great, but because we have trusted in our great God. And he delights in us. And he will transform this world. There will be a new heavens, a new earth, a new creation. The Bible says of Jesus, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now is the day of salvation where you come and you call out to him in your great need for forgiveness of sins and understanding this, that if you have called out to him, that he has forgiven you, you are clean, you're pure, you are now um, delighted in by him, and we can call out in all sorts of ways for his mercy. Well, just last week, another well-known figure uh, died, passed away, Coolio. Some of you of a certain age will know Coolio, best uh, rap solo Grammy, 1995, for Gangsta Paradise, about the mean streets of uh, Los Angeles. And uh, here are some of the words. Tell me why are we so blind to see that the ones we hurt are you and me? As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize there's not much left. Death ain't nothing but a heartbeat away. I'm living life, do or die. What can I say? I'm 23 now, but will I live to see 24? The way things is going, I don't know. Well, he lived past 24 to 59. 
And it doesn't matter whether you're uh, somebody on the mean streets of Los Angeles at 24, whether you're a rap star at 59, or a queen in her 90s. Um, We're a heartbeat away. We're a heartbeat away. So now is the day of salvation. Place your faith in the one who is merciful. He is your king. He is your savior. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for sending Jesus, the King, just as you promised. You promised for thousands of years that there would be one who would come. And you have fulfilled that promise in Jesus Christ. And so now we look back. We look back to his kingship revealed in your scripture for his first appearing on the earth. We thank you for his sacrifice on the cross and that his mercy now can fall on us as we come and we cry out to Jesus. Have mercy on us and may you meet our cry of mercy as you've promised by giving us forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And may you also, as we just live our lives before you, you've revealed yourself, Jesus, as merciful. We pray that as we cry out to you that you would be merciful to us in our various needs. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.